Uh, I always want to check this out here. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Um, I had Starbucks matcha iced soy latte in not that order, but it was what I had for breakfast. It was pretty delish. I'm becoming alarmed at how many people on this podcast appear to have coffee for breakfast and nothing else. Oh, yeah. I definitely did not eat anything until like 2.45. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast of stories of ordinary people welcoming change into their life. Sometimes that change is our own doing. Sometimes that change barrels into our lives, whether we like it or not. This isn't a three-minute interview that you see on your favorite late-night talk show. We're going deep here. We're going deep into who we are and how we grow. And we're often asking questions that my guests have not been asked before. The goal is simple. We can learn from each other. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Aubin Cassidy. She's a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mother, also senior product marketing manager at G2 Crowd and a singer in the Chicago-based wedding band Rush Street Rhythm. And I often stumbled upon this blog post you wrote recently uh, called From Pop Punking to Product Marketing, kind of describes a little bit of your journey from uh, being a singer in a pop punk band and then getting into product marketing. And I... I mean, you succeeded in your title and in catching my eye because I immediately was like, wait, wait, what? And so I, I clicked and I read and I, I thought, oh, like that's an amazing story. And she's a product marketer now in the tech scene. And that's cool. And I started digging and I'm like, no, no, she's a musician. She's singing. She's in a wedding band and she's a really amazing singer. So let me start there. Wow. Thank you. Sheesh, that's an intro. Oh, you, yes. Your voice is phenomenal. <laughs> and I have to ask, like, when did you realize you had this voice? Like, I imagine this wasn't recent. Like, this was something that you discovered early on, I got to imagine. No, I wish I had one of those stories that was like, well, I just sat down to a piano and I was 25. <laughs> no, it's, I was definitely like a very little child. And like, my parents both are completely tone deaf. And I hope they hear me say that on the record. And so as the oldest of two kids, like I loved to sing and I would but I was very shy about it. And so I would go down to my parents basement with my little like tape deck recorder, and like, sing the national anthem to myself and be like, they can't hear me, can they? But I was like, I was like, I can do this. Like, I was very into Mariah Carey, very into Celine Dion, all of those like 80s, 90s divas, and then just auditioned for choir in middle school. So that was my come up is not you know, surprising or exciting. It's pretty typical. <laughs> well, what I love is that you're and now knowing that you started in choir, that you're, you're singing in what I assume is an associated love of music uh, has carried through. I mean, like all these different phases of your life, because we got choir, yes. we got the pop punk band, and then nowadays you're doing the wedding bands and stuff. So it's like, I, I just love that you still continue to let that thrive. Definitely. It was it was definitely something I was super passionate about from the jump, like I said, when I was a little kid. And right, there is not a lot of people, especially when we were in the pop punk scene, that have like classical musical training who can sight read or, you know, do it like did any kind of professional competitions. Like we did all that stuff in choir in middle school and high school and whatever. And so it was really cool to get into a group with some of my bandmates who also were classically trained. So we had like a very different approach to maybe creating some of our songs that were a little more technical minded as opposed to, and it, it's awesome also being in now in Rush Street Rhythm with a whole mess of people who have 
you know, degrees and stuff in music who can take a really technical approach and we can do some really cool stuff. So yeah, having that background was definitely helpful going into both the pop punk scene and then now the wedding band life. The pop punk scene. I love that you say the pop punk scene. The, the... <laughs> Were you in the scene, Tim? I need to know. Were you a scene kid? No, no. My brother, I think more so was. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Ironically, I like that music nowadays you. more than I ever did in the past. So I are you more angsty in your 30s? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so pop punk scene, but you weren't like majoring in college in music or anything. You were out to be a, a teacher. Yeah. I mean, you were... Yeah, I had I had a few different paths. None of them were ever music. I ended up... My undergrad was in political science with a philosophy degree. So completely unrelated. And then I got my master's in elementary education. So... I don't know. The music thing was always just like who I was in my private life, I guess. It never felt like something that I could turn into a career. So not that anybody's going off and being like a professional philosopher these days, but <laughs> it just felt like maybe a little more political angle could be like, you know, an attorney or whatever, something that I could make money in. So it's pretty cool and crazy that I was able to parlay that side gig hobby into like an actual career path. That I split, of course, with product marketing, but yeah, I'm, yeah, no, it's like a, it's like a straight up career. It's yeah, <laughs> this isn't just a hobby anymore. I was gonna cool. say it's taking up your weekend time. You are also like yeah. impacting the lives of these people getting married, and you know that's like the night of it all, right? Like that's what they've planned for, and you're on. Wait yeah. a second, I have to ask this. I'm just gonna jump ahead. <laughs> I'm watching your wedding video. I wait, you saw yeah, it? Yeah, somewhere online. Were you singing <laughs> at your own Instagram. wedding? Yes. Okay. So the wedding band that I started in Gold Coast All-Stars, we had them be our wedding band. Um, so Gold Coast All-Stars is like the original band in the company that I know that restaurants in. So anyway, um, but obviously Faraday, my pop punk band, like had to do an appearance. Like we're all still best friends and all of our parents and friends like know every word to all of our songs and we're at all our shows for all those years. So it was like, the band's been gone for years now, but we got together for two more songs. So yeah, in the middle of Gold Coast set, we busted into our like two favorite jams and and went for it. And so like, I won't even lie, when I was wedding dress shopping, the it wasn't like, you know, is this in budget? Is this what makes me feel good? Am I pretty? It was like, am I going to be able to headbang in this dress? <laughs> like real talk. <laughs> like how well can I like sweat and go crazy on stage in this dress? Will it work with my performance? And you were, you were into it. I mean, it was a full blown performance. I mean, That's why I was, I was a little confused. I'm watching. I'm like, did they splice in the scenes of her like from a show? I'm like, no, she's wearing the same dress as she was in the rest of the. That was definitely our wedding. Well, I married the keyboardist from Faraday. That's my husband. So like it, how do like, that's how we to met. Be. Like, how do we not, Totally. It was, yeah, that was so cool. I'd do that day every day for the rest of my life. It was so Oh, fun. that's fantastic. But wait a <laughs> second. So like you master's in teaching and, you know, you, yeah. from what I understand, you, you were really pretty interested in teaching. Like you were ready to like go out there and Definitely. do the good. Um, obviously you've transitioned yeah. into something else. What I'm curious what like happened there. Like why not, why not teach anymore? Yeah. So yeah, I even started as an ed major in undergrad too. And then took the shift to poli sci. So then I was like, I felt like there was this, you know, unclosed door that I never really saw through. So then so I was like, I'm going to go back and get my master's in education. Like, I really feel like that's where I belong. And so I ended up in there, all the hours that I put in, um, like volunteering at different schools, you have to like collect, I don't remember, hundreds of hours yeah. before you can go into student teaching. 
like practical hours. So all of that was so rewarding. I finally got to student teaching and 50% of it was like the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. And that was the time with the students. It was like building those lesson plans, differentiating those lesson plans because, you know, I'm teaching second graders, but there is just this range of ability and maturity and excitement. And it's like figuring out how to reach 30 kids who have maybe eight different approaches to learning this one thing was like just such a cool challenge. And then when you like hit it home with one of those kids, it's like your heart just explodes and you see them get it for the first time. So like that part of that job was just incredible. The other side of that, of course, was the administrative piece of it and not working with the children, but working with the adults. So the other teachers, the principals, the parents, I mean, it was really sad and it was a really up close and personal view into what our educational system is like and the bureaucratic, unfortunate, you know, circumstances that a lot of these schools have dealt with with regards to funding, with regards to, you know, forcing an agenda and a unit on students that aren't ready for it. It, it was just, it was really challenging for me and heartbreaking to see a lot of students fall victim to a system that's not set up for their success. And so, um, yeah, ultimately I found myself coming home crying almost every single day. And then like having to get over that and build my lesson for the next day. And then it was just like, there's, there's no job that I've ever come across. That's more demanding emotionally, physically time-wise than teaching. And what is the worst part is that it's like so underpaid. It's like these teachers put every single thing they have in, into this. You, you can't half-ass teaching. You can't show up and be like, I don't know, learn. Like that, it doesn't work that way. You can't like, you can't like we can in tech, like roll up with a hangover or phone it in or take a PTO. Like that's not a thing. If you're sick, you have to have lesson plans ready for a sub that morning. Like you could be puking in the toilet. It's like, this is the most demanding job I've ever seen. And it's so under rewarded. And it, so, so I guess that's a long story to tell that it, it was really a heartbreaking moment for me to realize that teaching wasn't for me because I didn't think I was going to be able to have the impact st- sustainably. Like I it was like, I'm going to burn out after two years and I'm going to let down a lot of kids and be right back where I started. So I think a lot of what I do now as a product marketer is very similar in that, you know, I'm taking something people don't understand, differentiating it to a multitude of different audiences and learning abilities and so forth. And so I feel like a lot of the skills that I developed in that program are applicable to my job, but man, I miss those babies. I miss them so much. And I hope our system can get its shit together because they deserve it, man. It's our future. Yeah. Speaking of future, I mean, you have twin daughters now and I mean, one day they'll yeah. you know have to be educated in some way. Has your ex- <laughs> I guess we'll have to do that. Yeah. We? <laughs> I was going to say, has your experience, you know, everything you just described, how has that kind of shaped now your view of, you know, your daughters and, you know, the education they'll one day get? Yeah. I mean, my husband and I have put a lot of thought into it. And, and some of the thought was that the education we got, we went to, we grew up in a town called Lake Zurich. It's out in the Northwest suburbs. Um, we got a great education. The school systems out there are really renowned. They're actually really well-funded. At least they were when we went there. I don't know what their situation is now, but like we got what would be a quote unquote great education. Um, what we didn't get was a great like global education. And so, you know, the majority of our school was like 98% white upper middle class kids. And it was you know, a great place to grow up. But then it's like, you get to college or even for Danny and I, like he went to IU, I went to Miami, Ohio at first, like it's more 98% white, 
upper middle class white kids, like not much changed. And so for us in, in thinking about how we want our children to experience the world and be educated, I'm almost willing to compromise some of that like learned education, some of that book education for a more global approach to the world. Uh, so we are raising them in the city. That is our plan to send them to Chicago public schools. Um, of course, we want like a, a good one, but I'd much rather be very involved in a diverse Chicago public school that's going to like have a more comprehensive approach to learning and expose them to other types of students and types of teachers and learning styles than than what we got. So that's the thought we've put into it. I hope it pans out. But um, yeah, I mean, that experience definitely shaped my approach in a lot of ways. And and involvement is the very least Danny and I can do in, in the school that they end up going to as to ensure that all the kids there get a fair shake. That's great that you've already started thinking about that. I mean, not that they're going to school anytime soon, but that, you know, it's not like something you're going to think about this summer before they have to show up somewhere. Yeah. No, I feel pretty passionately about it. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I share your thoughts on, I mean, I, I was never a teacher nor did I have any teaching experience, but um, on the education system, um, I mean, with my kids and it's just, it's, uh, yeah, ironically, I was going to say it's just, um, improvements, I think is such an understatement of what we could do for the American education system. Like overhaul, I think is more of a, uh, relevant word, but ironically, like Zurich, uh, I'm from Buffalo Grove, which is right in that same general area. Yo, yo, BG. (laughs) Yep, exactly. I didn't realize when I came across you that you had twins, very recent twins. Yeah. And oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. And also, you look very um, sane for having twins. (laughs) (laughs) I just hung up with a former colleague earlier today in talking about that. Yeah, we, so like my husband and I, I mean, we're older, like I'm turning 36 this month. And I think we just didn't want to be martyrs. Like, even if we were just having one kid, it's, we we take the approach of like, what's best for our sanity? What's best for our marriage? How do we most enjoy this experience? And so a lot of the decisions that we made were centered around that. And maybe some of them weren't like popular in the organic whole foods motherhood sector of the world but like they're formula fed we hired a night nurse for the first three months they sleep in their cribs in their nursery we had babysitters three days after we got back from the hospital <laughs> like we've just been i think you know, uh, there's no right answer here yeah so but the sanity the showers the sleep all of that is a product of us prioritizing it and just awesome. making some decisions around that. So yeah, we've actually really enjoyed having twin infants. It's a lot of work, but it's, you know, yeah. we miss them every night and get excited about them every morning. Whereas I think a lot of people are like dying. Yeah. As so, someone who has two kids and uh, not twins, but it'll be nine and well, they're no 10 and six in the coming months and not having done what you did. Yeah. <laughs> right. And there's no wrong way. It was just like, I don't don't know. That was just like our approach. Like we want to enjoy this. We also took this course when we found out we were having twins called Twiniversity, which is so cute, right? But it was just like, there's all this stuff that people having one kid learn that the hospital tour is catered to Singleton. But like every training course is two, you're going to have one kid. There's not a lot out there catered to how do you juggle two and what do you do then? And a big component of that training course was 
um, the really negative impacts on a marriage that having multiples can have and like the resentment that builds up and like the statistics around divorce linked to and all this stuff. So it just really kind of shook us to our core in probably the best way. And so we were like, okay, we got to definitely make time for us, prioritize each other. And that's going to be what's ultimately best for them. So university scared us into making a lot of the decisions that we did and so we're glad for it for sure i love it it's <laughs> i yeah i absolutely relate to all that especially like the simple things like car seats and like feeding it just like you said everything being mother's two and if right. it's all at the same time like what do you do it's crazy we literally bought our house so we got our offers accept, accepted on this house a week before we found out we were pregnant it's a third floor walk up so i was like great well, that's going to be cool carrying a car seat up for three flights. And then we were like twins and I was like, well, we're fucked. <laughs> okay. This we're getting be, a helicopter. That's, that's what we're doing. Right. But it's just like, I also, I think that my final point is like having twins, your partner has got to be a 50, 50 contributor. Like there's just no way to do this. Like I could not have possibly done every feeding overnight. Whereas I think a lot of times with one kid, one of the, houses is, you know, generally in charge of all of those responsibilities or takes the brunt of it. And in this case, I was like, I can't change it two kids at once. I can't feed two yeah. kids at once. I can't do yeah. any of this at the same time. So we've been super 50-50 by force. And that's been incredibly helpful as well. Oh, well, congrats again. That's amazing. Thanks. And congrats on you. You've got some grown ass humans living in that house. My God. Oh my God. Yeah. Six yeah, and I'm, 10. They're like your friends now, like peers. They are. He's like my friend. I mean, I'm, about, I'm, I'm your, like, you might be a year older. I'm what age am I now? I just turned 35 <laughs> in March. Okay. Happy birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. What month is it? It's June, July. It's July. <gasps> it honestly has felt like one big month since quarantine. Yeah. So I yeah. definitely feel <laughs> as though we're still in March. But what you said about the, the friends, like my son's name is Noah and I, like he uh, recently, there's like Facebook Messenger for kids now, and all his friends got on it. So like, I don't like that. Yeah, but. it's interesting. <laughs> but like, yeah, there'll be things now where I'm like, oh, I want to text Noah about that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like God, he doesn't I like have a phone, so I can't do that. But that's gonna be so cool. Yeah. Oh yes, you got me psyched. <laughs> right? It's like so fun now, and it just gets better because they become like cooler. Here's, and I, I'm no expert, but the, the, the biggest thing for me from parenting, um, and granted, I mean, I was very young when this all started, but is like, once I figured out everything, then like, we were at the next level. And then it was like starting over again. Ah, so, ah yes, that makes yeah, sense. But at the same time, like that sounds negative, but at the same time, like, once you realize like how great that level was or that phase was you were on the next one and you can never foresee how amazing the next phase is going to be because like there are these humans that keep growing with you. You know what I mean? So it's like, so it's it's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. I'm so glad you feel that way. Oh, absolutely. We need more positive vibes around parenting and less of the like, like, I'm like, stop. I know it's terrible. They hear that. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Cut it out. So you, you mentioned, you know, you're in the city now, you're in Chicago and planning on going to, um, or your kids going to Chicago school. So when you, um, you wrote this beautiful Instagram post the other day, just kind of, um, about the journey you and your husband have been through and you've been through so much together. One of the things that caught my eye was that it took you a year and a half to find a house. And I was really curious, was this a 
situation of like we need we know what we want and it's just we're going to wait till we find it or was it just like you went through three different pendings and they all fell through or something yeah so actually it was a bit of a unique situation so danny's been working for the same company for since he graduated college so a long time and so he was fortunate because this is a tech startup to get like a, a good amount of shares in that company and so that company was nearing acquisition for a long time. And so we were, you know, banking on that acquisition happening much sooner in our home search and putting that, like cashing out those shares and using that as a down payment. And so it was just like a lot of ups and downs with like, okay, we think it's going to close. We found the house we want. Let's time things and, you know, sync up with our realtor, sync up with our mortgage lender and make sure everything's ready to go. And then the sale would fall through and it all ended up totally working out for the better. This was the place we were end up supposed to be. They got a better valuation than they would have if they would have sold in the first place. So we ended up getting more money from that sale. But it was an extremely emotional roller coaster throughout that thing because we were just purging dough at our River North apartment for way longer than we <laughs> planned. So <laughs> we loved it, but it was just like, dang, this could be mortgage. We could be building equity. So, you know, we ended up in a great house and it all worked out. But that was a long year and a half and a lot of freaking places. I bet that final moment where it actually went through that you were a relief or burden off your shoulder. It even like, right. And it even happened like we, our offer was accepted before the sale went through and it was like the sale was supposed to happen the the next week. So we were like, this is no problem. This is great. And then it got delayed and then it got delayed again. And then it was just like, all literally, I think the sale went through like four days before our closing. We were like, this is so intense and stressful and crazy. And we had to shift money around from this account to that account. But we got there. And so here we are in our wonderful third floor walk up that I get to carry two <laughs> 18 pound children up every walk. <laughs> so who knows how long we'll be here You're for. You're going to be a very fit family. <laughs> that's for sure. Oh, yeah. It's all part of my postpartum weight loss plan. <laughs> all these children up all these stairs. And definitely. <laughs> You're, uh, I also noticed your parents uh, moved closer to be near the the grandchildren now and the first thing that popped in my head um is you ever watch the show everybody loves raymond so (laughs) i immediately thought that dynamic where the parents are living you know kitty corner and they're popping over all the time and i don't know your parents and i don't know your relationship with your parents but i i have to ask is are we looking at everybody loves raymond situation here my mom is not marie thank god that's the name of yes yes okay man i haven't watched i haven't either but but you got it (laughs) um no my parents are not like that at all they're they're honestly really wonderful and um my brother and I were very fortunate to have a really close relationship with my mom's parents and toward you know in their 80s they ended up moving into our house with us my parents traveled a lot for work so it was almost like the second set of parents that were with us just 24 7 and we had it was so great it was such a great bond um and so I think my parents wanted to give that freedom to Danny and I for us to be able to go out and enjoy ourselves and work during the day during quarantine (laughs) and have them come over and watch these kids. But also, yeah, so it was, it was really wonderful to have my parents come closer. I mean, I literally texted her earlier and was like, I'm slammed tomorrow for work. Can you swing by and just watch the girls for a little bit so I can crank out some work. And so having that freedom and then Danny's mom actually lives a block East or a block West rather. So I've got my parents on one side his mom on the other and his sister who's over here right now out there watching those girls. Like we've got the whole fam in Chicago now, which is 
very on everybody loves Raymond. It, it really is. A well, not even just in blessing. Chicago, but within maybe a, a small radius here. Yes. Yes. Everyone's very close. So it's, it's wonderful. We have yet to pay for babysitters. That's the best part. Oh, God, That's the best part. I can speak from <laughs> experience. I just imagine though, that's going to be such a blast as they grow and you're all able to spend totally. time together. And uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, geographic location, as we're learning during COVID, I mean, matters so much that physical oh in the same space connection right. is a big deal. Yeah. My mom has been begging for us to buy like a three flat so her and my dad can live in there. With I'm like, calm down. I'll give you a few blocks away. You cannot be in our building. Like, that is I spent enough time Raymond. living with you. <laughs> that is literally it. So no, I, I lived with you enough. Down the street is is going to have to do. So. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really glad we're all close, especially now. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what we would do if we didn't live near everybody. It would be It would be sad, you know? And yeah, these girls are going to have such a great relationship with all their grandparents. They're so lucky. So w- when you found out you were having twins, was that a big shock? I mean, and I guess nobody nobody generally plans to have twins. It's usually a surprise. But I'm always... <laughs> Tim, I was planning to have twins. You were planning to have twins? <laughs> so, straight oh, up. okay. Okay. So genetically, I was like predisposed to probably, not probably, but like have a higher chance oh, to have okay. twins. So my mom was a fraternal twin. So when... The mom of the mother, like when the grandmother is a fraternal twin, so like my mom, that means that's like the highest chance genetically for me to have twins. Fascinating. If that makes I didn't sense. Know that. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know what the data is. It's like 18% chance or something. So it's pretty high. And then on top of that, like at my age, like all jokes aside, like our OB said, basically when you're like 34, 35, like you're having a going out of business sale with regards to your oh, fertility. Gosh. So like so many women will like, you know, release lots of eggs. So you have a higher chance in your mid thirties to have multiples oh, than two. Okay. So there was just like a few things stacked on top of each other. And so like, I kind of told everybody my whole life that I was going to have twins. <laughs> it was just like, I'm just going to knock it out. One pregnancy, two kids. This is what I want. Like they'll be best friends. Super great. Yada, yada. And I feel like I manifested it because it like actually happened. <laughs> so yes, all jokes aside, like you could ask anybody. Like when I told people we were having twins, they're like, of course you are. Of course you're having twins. Like, we're not so <laughs> Isn't that wild? That is wild. It's, it's yeah. interesting, though, like, being prepared for it. I mean, you never really prepared for it. I should not say that. Oh, trust me. We were, like, shook AF yeah. for, like, weeks. Like, absolutely, especially my husband. Like, I talk about it all the time. He's like, I can't believe you did this. I can't <laughs> believe you made this happen. Like, what did you do? And it, so like, no, we were still very shocked and like completely overwhelmed. Like, how are we going to do this actually? Like I never babysat twins before. I had no idea how to like do any of this times two. So still very shocking and scary, but almost more shocking and scary that like what I predicted happened. Like, do I have psychic powers? I don't know. There's, I mean, the mother. Ch- Did I put this in the universe? Yeah. Was this like the secret? The mother-child relationship is that, so but... unique. Like there might be something there. <laughs> Right. So, so here we are. I guess I'll add that to my resume or my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Psychic question mark? Po- possibly. <laughs> so pop punk scene. I'm really curious. So you're in the band Faraday in, in kind of like your twenties. It sounds like this was, this yeah. was quite a run. I'm really curious, especially knowing your music background and your, your singing. 
what first of all how did you end up on the pop punk scene and then second of all what was the goal like was this we are going to do this for the rest of our lives or was this just kind of like we'll see what happens but we're not married to it so i'll start with part one how i ended up on the pop punk scene was like i mean that music is the best i'm glad you're finally getting into it but i long story short played this like alumni talent show back in 2006 at my old high school. And it was just like, I was just doing like singer songwriter, like acoustic stuff around Chicago, like random bars that would have me and a colleague, a colleague, Oh God, I'm so professional now. (laughs) A classmate of mine from high school who had become like a music producer was there. He was like, swing through the, the studio. Let's put some tracks down. And so we recorded some of the songs that I'd written and he was like, oh, this is a pop punk song. And so that was kind of like how it happened. And it was like, oh, yeah, I love Paramore and I love Fall Out Boy. Like, what the hell? Let's do it. So that was like how I ended up getting into it. So I always felt like a bit of a fraud because I never like had the angst. I was always like pretty happy. I had like pretty decent relationship with my parents, like, you know, work jobs. It was never like I was like, oh, I'm so sad and so like, seen. Like you're not and allowed like, to be singing this music because you don't feel yes, the pain. Right. And I still had like feelings and emotions and shit, but I was literally a pretty happy kid. So I was like, <laughs> I felt it like a bit of a fraud on stage with like my spike belt. I'm like, I would never wear this if I wasn't on stage, <laughs> but I know you won't like me if I wear Abercrombie. So <laughs> I'm just going to do this and try to assimilate. Um, so yeah, that's how I awkwardly ended up in the pop punk scene. But I, always authentically loved the music it was never that was never fraudulent it always felt like a super awesome way to like get all your energy out via music so and i'm still freaking obsessed um as for what our end game was with faraday it depends on who you ask and that was perhaps the reason for the dissolution of the band because for danny and i and then our friend nick who played guitar rhythm guitar in the band and also sang like all three of us we're just pretty invested in our careers and kind of like using all our vacay time to go on these tours and stuff. And like really loved recording, really loved playing out, but it was just like, I'm not trying to like get famous as a result of this or like spend the rest of my life in a van, like for better or worse, like I need a hotel if I'm on the road and I like a shower and I like, you know, not living in a car. So like that was the half of us that were like just focused on our career path I think a little bit more and then the other half of the guys were like I will give up everything to live in a van and you know eat granola and drive through for the rest of my life and I'm like that's gonna wreak havoc on your waistline don't do it so like (laughs) so that was like our final conversation was like we're on different pages if y'all want to go tour and do this forever then power to you but you know we're turning 30 and it's probably time to hang it up for us so and I was already like involved with Gold Coast All-Stars for a while at that point and gigging with them on on the regular and like, you know, getting paid for it for the first time ever as a musician. So that was kind of scratching that itch. The only thing I truly miss is recording. My God, I could go to the studio every day. That's like the most invigorating feeling ever. What was it about recording that gave you the rush? It's it's interesting to me because you've done plenty of live music. You do live music now. I would imagine it's the alternate where like the live would give you the rush. I mean, I still, I, I love when the whole band as a team on stage connects and has a musical moment, there's definitely those moments that are like just so freaking special and like godly, but there's something about being in the studio and like nailing something on the first take or like, especially as like an original songwriter, like I'll write a song and I'll like lazily strum my guitar to it. But then 
to have a track with like actual produced instruments and then get into the booth and for the first time see like your words come to life as a song and like hear it back there's something so gratifying and incredible about that or like there's certain producers that I worked with like most notably like TJ Martin work we worked with on our last album who pushed me to bring so much more out of myself than I ever thought I could do as a singer and so to like have those moments not just in life, but archived on a recording, like to have that feeling and then be able to hear you feel that live. There's just something so magical about it. So like those albums we made, like, I don't care how, you know, ego driven this is. I could listen to them a million times because like every track feels so personal and like explosive and nostalgic. That's the power of music in my eyes. Like it can bring you back. Right? Yeah. There's nothing like that. Absolutely. It's so cool. So yeah, I miss the studio big time. When you started, uh, when you started wedding singing, wedding singing is not a thing. When you started in the wedding band (laughs) um, (laughs) and you were getting paid for that, did that, um, that must've, I feel like been a big moment where you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm talented. I'm going to want to do, and people will pay me to do this. Did that change anything? Or were you always like, no, this can still just kind of be a sidetrack to other things I'm doing? At first, I mean, I still sometimes feel like maybe people are just being nice to me and like I show up on time and, you know, I'm easy to work with. So they pay me to do this. It has nothing to do with my talent. I'm just so amazed by the musicians that I'm surrounded by. And I know I can't even hold a candle to their ability. And so, like, I appreciate that they pay me to sing. But every day I'm just like, I could be a billion times better than this. So getting paid to sing has been this incredibly, like, weird balance of like extreme flattery and excitement and pride and extreme humility and like just like ego checking to the max because all of a sudden like my I don't even want to call it the gift that's so gross my voice is like monetized and there's this way to like quantify its value so before it was just something I enjoyed doing so if people didn't like it I was like well okay fuck you like I'm singing for myself but now it's like to be singing for somebody's money, it's like, oh my God, was my performance tonight worth that check? Like, I'm constantly feeling like I need to earn it in a way. I need to be more prepared. I need to be more present. I need to connect with the audience better. Like, it's very stressful in in a great way. It's challenging, but yeah. Do you think it's, it's do wild. you think it's like pushing your growth? Like, I mean, uh, oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. It's like I said, like the humility that comes from playing with these musicians. They're all so much better than me and they're all so talented. They hear something and they can play it instantly. They push each other. We do on the fly mashups. There's just so much that all of these musicians can do. So translating off the stage, just knowing that talent exists and gift exists and, and, you know, 13 people on stage can come together to create something so freaking cool. The challenge is insane and definitely has shaped me in my approach to working with my team at G2, you know, just, just everywhere. It's been an awesome experience. That's gotta be a blast. Like having, like I said, the wedding is often like the biggest party the couple throws in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how often you're doing the weddings, but let's say every weekend or two or three, I mean, you're joining in the biggest party these people are throwing. That's just gotta be yep. a blast to be a part of these parties. It, it'll never get old. Like I've signed on to do this forever. Like the owner of our company, I'm, I'm in like, let's do this. Rush Street is, is it because every single gig is different. Every single set is different. Like 
We even have different lineups sometimes, like we might get a sub or they might add horns or whatever. It's always a different experience, always a different couple, always a different venue. And you just never know what you're going to get. And it's like this cool challenge every time to start with an entirely new audience, which is very different than being an original artist, right? Because you're building audience. So as you go, you see the same people at every show. And then it's a few more same people and people show up knowing the words like, this is like, we got to win over a new group of 300, 400 people tonight. And the stakes are really high because these people ideally are getting married once. This is a once in a lifetime day for this couple. And so like the pressure is high, the stakes are high, but the fulfillment and the honor to be like, you chose us to be the soundtrack to the best day of your life. Like, yeah, we're going to leave it all on the stage tonight. Like it's, it's such a cool, unique honor. And you know, a lot of people, especially in the original music scene have weird feelings about cover music and cover performances and stuff. And that's selling out and this and that. And I mean, some of the moments that I've had on stage with my wedding band have far surpassed so many of the original show moments that I've ever had because of those, the time that the bride and groom gets on stage with you, or you get to play, you know, the father daughter dance and everybody's crying. And it's just like, I'm going to get emotional talking about it. It's, it's very, very powerful. The emotional connection you can have and the impact you have, not just on the couple, but on those people, those 300 people there. I mean, this is the part that just blows my mind is you have this connection that you could absolutely, not that you ever would, but you could absolutely tank the evening. I mean, you have that power. You absolutely do. <laughs> yes, people, I totally do. Yes, but you, you also <laughs> have the opposite. You have the, the power to completely elevate the, I mean, people will talk about your performance, maybe not you specifically or, you know, the guitar specifically, but they will mention that band. They will mention that music on both sides. I'm like, this was awesome or this was yeah. terrible. It's the food and the music are all that matters. And the dancing, how you full the so dance floor right. is. Yes. So, I mean, like, yes. I, I almost am a little angered at these people who are saying, oh, it's a wedding band. It's probably the most uh-huh. powerful position to be in. I mean, you're at their biggest party. I could not agree so, more. Yeah, I mean. Thank you for that. I, we, we need respect. <laughs> I appreciate that so, I'm so much. Serious. Because it is, it is a huge honor. And I do not take it lightly at all. I don't take a single note or a single song for granted. There is no going through the motions on that stage because like I said, this is the first time this entire audience has seen you do this song. I don't care if you've done it 50 times. This is going to be, you're going to play Proud Mary like it's the first time you ever did it and you're going to go crazy. So yes, I appreciate that. And it is a huge honor and a huge responsibility and, and I love it so much. It's terrifying and exhilarating the whole time all at once. So there had to have been a first wedding you did. I mean, obviously, what was that first wedding like? Okay. The first wedding I did was at a place called Fulton on the River. It is now, I think it's River Roast now. I could be wrong. It's a place in Chicago, on Chicago River. And the leader of Gold Coast Events, my boss, came to a Faraday show and was like, you know, you've got a sound that we're missing. We've got one girl singer. We'd love to bring on another girl singer so we could like balance this out a little bit why don't you just learn like these two songs? I think the songs he asked me to learn were like, I think we're alone now by Tiffany and California girls by Katy Perry. I think those were the two. There might've been a third in there. And so I was like, okay, I can learn those. Like, you know, is there like a rehearsal? He's like, just come like, you'll be fine. I'm like, what? Like coming from an original band that rehearsed twice a week, every week for like a show every two months. I was like, what do you mean? There's no, he's like, it's cover music. Just learn the song and show up. So I showed up 
so scared and like, you know, I do not have a problem, but if you ask anybody in a pop punk band, there's not a lot of times that they play a show stone cold sober. We usually throw a couple drinks back beforehand and just have a good time. So I'm showing up to this being like, this sounds so bad, but I don't even know the last time I sang sober, like, <laughs> but this is a job and I'm getting paid. So I can't possibly like wrap my mind around like having a beverage beforehand. Did I wear the right thing? Like, I don't know what any of my bandmates look like. Cause I've never been to a rehearsal before. Like, I don't know these people. It was so scary. And I roll up and like this other singer, Jeff, like sees me looking scared. And he's like, I know who you are. You're Robin. Like, let's go to the bar and have a drink real quick. You seem stressed. I'm like, Oh <laughs> Jesus. They took me to the bar. I think we had like a bourbon or something. And I, you know, everyone was just so freaking nice and welcoming. And they, a lot of them had heard my music before. And like, it was just like instant family. There was zero judgment. And the other female singer, she could have easily been like, yo, this is my territory. And it was just the opposite. It was like, welcome. This is a family. I got you. If you forget your lyrics, if you need me, if your voice goes out, give me a look and I got you. And it was just like, instant like okay like I, I can do this so it's terrifying but there's actually footage floating around somewhere on youtube of that cali girls song and it was, <laughs> it's just so cool to be able to like see the terror in my face but also like i'm doing it i'm doing it <laughs> so yeah that was my first wedding it was very scary it was very cool and it was essentially an audition like he gave me two gigs that weekend it was memorial day weekend and he was like if this goes well then i'll throw you some more so he threw me some more and here we are. And now it's, <laughs> Every now it's something that you absolutely enjoy doing. Yeah, totally. I'm still shit terrified. I don't want you to think otherwise. It, every, especially now that I'm running this band. I, def, I don't want to say I got complacent in Gold Coast, but it definitely got to a place of comfort where I was like, okay, I, I know you guys. I know the transitions. I know the songs inside out. I, I got this down. And I don't have to run anything, so there's no pressure. Now that I'm running Rush Street, it's like, I have to MC the whole night. I got to sync up with the planner. I got to sync up with the bride and the groom. I got to make sure I say everybody's names right as they enter the room. Yet it's like a whole new, make sure my musicians show up on time and are prepared. Like it's a whole new job that I'm now freshly terrified for all over again. Is this, um, is this the administrative side of the music? Just like you had the administrative side of the teaching? <sighs> you know what? Yes and no. Yes, it is because there's, Yes, it's it's not nearly as gratifying as like getting on stage and, and doing a song, but it is not broken in the way that the sure, education system sure. is, right? Like I love meeting with the bride and groom and holding her hands and saying like, you know what, this is going to be the best day of your life. Just soak it up. Enjoy it. I love having those moments and those connections. I love when a planner's freaking out and being like, I got you. Like having those moments where we all kind of work together to make sure this night goes smoothly is is much more of a team vibe than education where in most moments I felt like I was damned if I did, damned if I didn't. That was like a, a sure failure one way or another. Whereas this feels like almost all the time a success. So it's a lot of work, but it's gratifying. You mentioned that you are still terrified going on stage. And yeah. that, that surprises me because you have this like a, a aura about you that you you don't seem very scared really of anything. I mean, and I mean that in, in a kind way, like you really have this, oh, like, like so I nice. got this. I'm such a good thinker. Well, I don't know. I mean, you just, it's not even like a pompous confidence by any means. It's just more of this, like, I got this. It's fine. I mean, we'll, we'll do this. Like, it's okay. However it ends up, like you just seem to, I guess you seem very able to just roll with it 
without getting overwhelmed by the possibilities of, you know, which way this could go. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think um, there's definitely some things that I feel more comfortable doing than others. And I think it goes back to like I was saying, like, I'm just lucky to be in this group. I'm surrounded by like actual real professional trained musicians with like bachelor's and master's degrees and music. And like, so I, I almost feel like scared because I'm not just performing for the audience, but I have to prove myself every night to my musicians, like my band. And so I think in a conversation where we're just hopping on and talking about life, like this is something I feel comfortable talking about. Cause it's just like, I don't know. It's like, it's natural. Whereas like, or even writing or doing work, like I feel like I've gotten so many reps in and I'm like an individual contributor, which is a whole nother world of like comfort. Whereas in Rush Street, like I'm not an individual contributor. Like this is such a team sport and I'm somehow the leader, but also like if I don't give 10 out of 10 the entire day, that's giving my musicians such a bad example. And I want to lead them by example, right? Like I, performed through eight months pregnant last year with the twins and never once I, every time I was like, if I don't go hard as an eight month pregnant woman, like that's, that's such a bad example. I shouldn't be here, you know? Like, so it's, it's a lot of pressure to me and I get, I get nervous that I'm going to disappoint them and not lead well and, and disappoint the company, I guess. I don't know. I need more swag. I just don't have a lot of musician swag. I, like, are musicians supposed to be cocky and arrogant? No, no. I think it's your love. I mean, you can oh. see in your face your your love for the 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 band, the what you're doing, the team, and just you don't want to let them down, right? I mean, you're. Uh, I mean, come on. These are great leadership qualities. This is what we all want in a leader, right? Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I just, <laughs> I guess yeah, so. I think I think it's great. Thank you. Appreciate that. I really do. I'll try to be less scared. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, you know, we were talking earlier about having the the twins and, um, you know, I'm sure the first reaction you always get is, oh my gosh, it's got to be craziness. It's got to be chaotic. But I mean, even even there, you were very calm. Like, no, no, we, we figured this out. My husband and I are a team. We're partners. We've got a... Yeah, that thing, the twins thing hasn't freaked me out at all. I don't know why. As during pregnancy, I was a mess, like physically a mess, emotionally a mess. I was like, we can't do this. Like, I, like we set all the things up in place, right? Like to, sure. to attempt to do this and all the rules and expectations for ourselves. But even up to delivery day, I was like, what if I don't like them? Like, I've never been a mom. Like, what if we don't bond? Everybody says it's the best day of your life. And you connect with these kids the second they're out and yada, yada, yada. Like, I don't know. What if that doesn't happen for me? I was definitely scared leading up to it. Um, and I'd tell anybody who is pregnant and having any of those anxieties that it, it is true what they say. The second you meet that kid and you see like, holy crap, that came out of my body. We cooked that thing. We made that thing like, and it is now entirely my responsibility is so freaking thrilling and cool. And everything just shifts and nothing else matters. And like, I firmly believe that those babies pick up on our vibes and so if we're running around with our heads cut off, freaking out, screaming at each other, getting tired, getting anxious, like they're going to scream and get anxious and freak out. So like it does us all good in this household to just keep a calm demeanor, get through the crying, like babies cry. It's going to end. I also usually really could not stand the sound of any babies crying before, but 
for some reason, I think my babies cry very cutely. Like it doesn't bother me at all. And just, it's like funny. I'm like, why do you cry like that? It's weak. You sound ridiculous. Like it's adorable. So I also would say that to new parents, like you're probably not going to be nearly as annoyed by your kids as you are. Do you, I mean, do you agree with me? As like, yeah. I'm only six months into the job. You're like freaking tenured over there. <laughs> it's, oh my gosh. It's someone... I think it was Jackie Gadeen, a previous guest on the episode. Jackie and I were, she's a mother uh, as well. And we were talking about, somehow we were talking about children and, and parenting. And she said something along the lines of your kids. So if you're a parent, your kids are the only human beings in your life that can kind of make you feel this certain way. Like they have this connection to you in this way to make this this unconditional love and just this this feeling that no other humans in your life, in your mom, your dad, no one else close to you, your best friend, your sister can possibly make you feel. And oh gosh, I should go back and listen to my own episode to get the right quote. But she, when she said that, I was like, I, I just like, oh my gosh, yes, that's, I could never have put it in such eloquent words, but it's so true. And like, that's yeah. the part that I just, I mean, gosh, I didn't know that going into it. No one knows that going into it. And you can't even like articulate it. I guess she did a pretty good job, right? But like people try so hard to explain to you what this is going to feel like and what, what you're, how that shift happens. And it just all feels so out of reach and you can't, it's like a part of your brain hasn't developed to like accept that. Oh, I like that. that. Yes. You know, it's almost like that day, like this part of your brain opens up that now helps you understand. It's like, when I learned about like existentialism, it's like, oh, you know, like there's this part that's just like, I didn't even know existed and now I get it. And now I can like look at the world through this different lens. And so, yeah, I think parenthood, like something happens where you're just like, and now I look at all of this differently. And it's so rewarding and cool. The highs are so high and the lows can be so low. It's just, it's this weird dynamic. Like we okay. can love these kids to death in one moment and then the next moment, we're like, you know, get a babysitter. We got to go get a drink. Oh, my gosh. And then, like last night, yeah. literally. <laughs> McKenna, come on. That chick is challenging us. And the us personalities right too, right? Already you're like, oh, this one's going to be. Oh, they're so different. Tim, it's nuts. They're identical twins. They share the same DNA and they've had the exact same life experience. And they are complete opposites. And I, I don't get it. It's messed up. That's not science. I don't know. How do I explain this to anybody? <laughs> they think I'm crazy. It's true. How how did motherhood change your perspective on, I mean, doing, I mean, obviously Faraday, you, you decided this is not the rest of my life, you know, you and the other two folks, but at least with, with um, the wedding singer and, and being in a wedding band and continuing to fulfill your, your music side of your life through that avenue, did motherhood change that at all? Like, did you think like, oh, I'm going to have to alternate, you know, schedules or I'm going to have to change this. Or was it like, I'm not going to even think about why would I change? This is just a new part of my life and it all right. fits in. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, ultimately, like, I think Rush Street is probably my end game. I think like it allows me to have time during the week if I need to, whether I, you know, I don't know how long I'll full time, maybe I'll switch to a contract, maybe I'll freelance for a bit, maybe I'll take some time off. But having those weekends as a musician gives me that opportunity. Like it's becomes no longer a side hustle to like a second full-time job. So 
which is an insane blessing for us financially. So it gives us this freedom that if, if I want to leave my full-time job, I can and be with these girls. And so having that come up as this opportunity has been incredibly cool. And of course, like during COVID, there's no gigs happening. I'm so grateful for my day job. And fortunately, I absolutely love it. So there's been no pressure either which way, but it's, there was something that Danny and I read at one point, and I don't even know if this is related, but it was like mil- like something along the lines of like the average millionaire household has at least seven streams of income. It was something along those lines. That's not a direct quote, but it was just like, just the importance of like diversifying your streams of income. And so it was just like, why would I walk away from something that's so lucrative, so fulfilling and gives me so much freedom and flexibility to be able to do these other things? And it's just like, so Danny and I try to have these different streams of income to give us those flexibility to do what's best for our girls. If, and what's best for our girls ends up being, you know, send them to daycare or be with a nanny during the day or part-time doing that, then cool. But um, God, I'm so lucky to have Rush Street always there, you know, always fulfilling me, whether I decide to stay with my day job or not. Sounds like it actually changed it in a, a positive way for you. Like this is like... Totally. The- Absolutely. And I talked about that with our company owner because there was a moment a couple of years ago before, before we were married. No, I think it was when we were married, but before we had kids or were pregnant for sure that I was just like, I'm at this impasse. Like, you know, I'm doing these gigs as a contractor, you know, in gold coast all stars. And, um, I, I absolutely love this, but it's not sustainable for the long term when we have kids, right? Like I can't work full time all day and do the band if it's not revenue generating enough. So that's when we were just like, we sat down, it was like, this is actually a really awesome opportunity for a family to give us that freedom to be able to have those weekdays free if I need to or something along those lines. So yeah, so for now I'm doing both and it's working out great, but they're going to get older and crazier and need more from me, I'm assuming. And maybe we'll have more of them, who knows? And <laughs> yeah, so no, it, it's given me, it's taken so much pressure off what I think is normally a very challenging decision for a lot of parents to decide whether or not to give up their career giving me that chance to like be a parent and also once a week be an individual adult with a professional life and get to do both and not make too many sacrifices in the process. So kids aside, what keeps you up at night? Oh man, is that a big question? I mean, right now, are you kidding me? Like our world is terrifying me. I'll be straight with you. Like I'm, I'm so afraid of the election outcome. I'm so afraid of like whether this country is populated with good people and empathetic people. And, and if, okay, I'll bring kids into it. And if this is a world that is fair and good for our children, that is scary, but it's also scary for, is this a world that's fair and good for Danny and I to stay in? Do we belong in this country? Like those things keep me up big time. It's come to the forefront a lot lately. And so. those are pretty big things to be thinking about. I mean, that's not a small thought. I mean, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's like, you know, our social responsibility to do so though. Like, especially as parents, it's our responsibility to like start thinking about how we're going to shape the next generation to hopefully improve this world. We're going on a path right now that I'm not particularly fond of. So <laughs> hopefully we can improve this world. But yeah, I think, I think that stuff's scary. And then of course there's little things like, you know, did I dry clean my dress in time for that gig? <laughs> or like, 
Uh, the million emails that I haven't gotten to and to all of you listening, I'm sorry I haven't replied or sent that Venmo request you sent or my God, I have so little time right now. It's ridiculous. But um, yeah, all those little tasks aren't aren't forgotten. But yeah, I have to ask, actually, I can relate here like this podcast. This part right here is what I love the most. I love having a great conversation and sitting here and just really connecting um, and forgetting that I'm sitting in a closet. But then there's the the rest of it, right? Um, and there's that ebbs and flows with how much I love it. There's the promotion. There's the producing, the booking, the you know the admin yep. side. There, there's all sorts of other aspects of it. That seems to me similar to to you, kind of you know being the leader now and running the wedding band. Like you have you have Saturday yep. night, but then you have the other six days of preparing for the next year's worth of Saturday nights. And it, yes, that is such a huge job. It is unbelievable. And you know, well, that, that's why I'm making more money now, right? Because it's not just before it was literally show up at a gig by 730, be on stage by eight, be done by 12, go home with a check. It was like such a slam dunk. But yeah, after doing that for I think you know, I was in that group for eight years, and it's like, okay, I'm ready for a new challenge. I would like to make this a career path like a permanent thing and not just like a side hustle. So yeah, now it I fortunately work for a company for Gold Coast events that you know, the owner is super duper hands on meets with all the brides and grooms. We've got a fantastic, um, like manager of all the bands who helps us keep all that stuff straight. But yeah, of course, coordinating with them almost every single day, working on our various social media platforms. I've been doing that for all the bands at this point, um, building all of our set lists, staffing every single gig. Cause like I said, you know, like I'm going to be at every single gig for sure, but all of my musicians are contractors. Like they're at the majority of our gigs, but life happens, you know, they have to go to a wedding or they have a family emergency or whatever. So just all of those logistics are so much work, but there's very little else professionally that I've found to be more fulfilling than like nailing the set list. And that's something I never got to do before Rush Street. Like I would just show up and sing the set, but now like going through, you know, we've got this master Google doc of like, thousands of songs that brides and grooms can choose from. And so they'll highlight, you know, hundreds that they like, and they'll cross out hundreds that they don't like. And then it's like up to me and it's up the other, up to the other band leaders to go through that list and curate a night that feels like it's going to flow well, see if we can mash some songs together that are in the same key and tempo, figure out what they're missing. Like I picked, you know, no hip hop songs or whatever. So you are, I'm just, I, you are building the soundtrack to this big yes, party. We literally are the soundtrack the, the pressure to the best of it. I can't comprehend the pressure. <laughs> How do you do that? I mean, Oh my, uh, that, that's, you're, you're building the soundtrack here, but like, again, not just for those two, but for the 300 people there. I mean, this yes. is such a, this is like the Super Bowl. Of, of it all every uh-huh. Saturday. How do you, and I'm not trying to like <laughs> add pressure here, but in my mind, I would be freaking out. Like, not that I wouldn't succeed, no, but that like, do. oh my gosh, the stakes I are, that's what I want to say. The stakes are so high. Yeah. But I, I care so deeply about it. The owner of our company, it, he's in Gold Coast All-Stars. And so he plays keys, he MCs the night and he pulls those set lists together and he, I don't want to, he doesn't like train us, but he has pulled together some of the best sets ever. It's just like, he's like such a genius. So I feel like I got to like learn under him around what the flow of the night looks like and then have a list of songs beneath that. Like if the 
night is taking a turn in a direction you didn't want it to. Like if they're evacuating the floor, this is the song you're going to pull out to get them all back. Like just, he is so strategic about that approach. So it's been really cool to like learn from him and then be able to carry that out. And also like, it was cool to build my own master set list or master. Yeah. Master song list, because like there's been songs I've been dying to do at a wedding since I joined or for years that never got added. And now I'm just like, (laughs) Paramore is on the list now. I got you all. Like, (laughs) so that's been really gratifying too. But yeah, the, the, the pressure is definitely high, but it's also such a cool way to get to know the bride and groom because you know, your wedding band, every wedding guests come up and they make requests. And it's really a powerful thing to be able to say the bride and groom selected these songs individually. This is the night that they want to hear. So it's like really empowering and cool to be able to push back and and say it with authority because they did. This is their vibe. This is what they selected. Maybe not in this order, maybe not these specific songs, you know, but like there's so much love and care that goes into that set. It takes hours. Oh, I can imagine. So, yes, I love it. That feels so good to get done. So as you mentioned, this is a full-time job in itself. Uh, so you kind of have two mm-hmm. full-time jobs. Um, well, no, three. I you do. have your mother with twins. Um, yeah. Oh so I'm just thinking, <laughs> that whole oh my job. gosh, how, you know, maybe a cliche <laughs> question, but what I'm genuinely interested in, how do you balance all that? I just, I mean, I... I know with what I'm involved in and what I do, I get overwhelmed pretty easily. I think we all do. And like I said, yeah. you don't give off the, a vibe of, you know, I'm, I'm falling apart here. I'm overwhelmed. I feel like so much of us do. Um, so not that you're drinking some special potion or something, but I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you not get overwhelmed? I think, well, are you familiar with the Enneagram? I just, I think, the short answer is no. The long answer is I feel like I just saw this on Instagram the other day and I was going to look it up and I didn't yet. Tell oh, me more. Tim. Okay. I'm going to send you a link after this. You have to take the test from the specific link I send you. Cause there's a lot of like okay. phonies out there trying to be like, I'm going to send you the right one, but basically like there's nine different types. You answer 200 questions and it helps you figure out what type of person you are. And that sounds like, Oh, there's only nine types of people. It's much more in depth than that. It's very comprehensive. And so many companies have adopted the Enneagram test as to identify how to best assemble teams and how working with different types of people can be like the efficiency and the effectiveness and the enjoyment can be maximized because people have different strengths. The type that I got was it's called like the achiever or the performer. And so like a core theme of this type, which I'm a three is that we say yes to everything. We do everything. We are constantly busy, constantly organized, constantly just on, 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 on. And I always like, I feel like I don't even remember the last time I didn't have a job. Like I was a mother's helper when I was like eight and I was a babysitter by the age of 12 and an umpire and working at Pottery Barn and working at Banana Republic and like always had multiple jobs, multiple streams of income, like always kind of doing my little hustles. So I don't really know what that like one job life looks like, to be honest with you. Like I just think I have way too much energy for that. I love a good day off. Don't get me wrong, but like on my good day off, I'm going to like organize the closet and like go for a run and like do a bunch of shit. So <laughs> like, I don't know that like slow down is really, is really for me. And I also, there was like this thing going around this twin group that was like, God laughs at people who say they're multitaskers and give them twins. And I feel like that's exactly what happens to me. Like, it was just like, Oh <laughs> yeah, you can take everything on. Here's two crying infants. Good luck. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, 
Yes, so far I'm not overwhelmed, but I also think it's really important to notice or note to note that I've only had one gig this year in February and then everybody went on lockdown. And so as a parent, full-time parent and a full-time product marketer and a full-time musician, the full-time musician job has been scaled back tremendously. There's still been like some logistics with regards to coordinating, you know, reschedules and stuff, but even the bulk of that has fallen on like our owner and our manager. So I haven't really been inundated with all of it yet. So we'll we'll see next spring how well I can hang and then maybe we'll have a part two to this where I'm like <laughs> lost half my hair and I'm just crying and like shaking. I don't know. <laughs> well, but next spring you'll you'll have had a year of, of motherhood or parenthood under your belt already. Like, you know, I wonder if um in some weird way this was a a blessing in the sense of you can ease into all this now okay. rather than be slammed into it. I think that all the time. It's been really, really cool for Danny and I both to have this opportunity. Like I came back to the office one day after my maternity leave and then we were on lockdown. Literally oh, wow. one day. That worked and out. So yeah, it worked out great. And so Danny and I like haven't missed a milestone. We've been to every doctor's appointment. We've seen every rollover, every, you know, first thumb suck, every little thing that you've wanted to be around as they grow so freaking fast, we've gotten to see you know, firsthand and, and not be super overwhelmed by it and not have to go into an office and burn time on a commute and all that stuff that the world is slowly learning is like super duper unnecessary and counterproductive. And so I'm really hopeful that we can continue to do this and work remotely and kind of get the most out of all of our jobs, including parenthood. That's so great. I'm I'm so happy for you that you've been able to, I mean, unfortunately (laughs) COVID happened, but, um, a silver lining. Yeah. I don't want to call COVID a blessing. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. But yeah, I mean, we've definitely had an opportunity to enjoy our children more than we would have if we weren't sequestered to our content. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. And it's, it's, it is nice that you've been able to, you know, these formative first couple months and, you know, however much longer years, whatever with your, with your kids. That's fantastic. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. I gotta imagine they are going to be some talented musical gals. If you were rocking on stage until you were eight months pregnant, I mean, they were listening, they were dancing, they got all that. (laughs) You know what's super cool is like the doctor would say, like you sing to them while they're in the womb, like, and then you sing those songs when they come out, like they'll recognize them and it'll be soothed. I'm like, do you know how many songs? Like, why do you want me to like rap to them? Like, do you know how many songs they're going to know when they come out of the womb? If that's like actually true, but there's definitely like a few songs that I sing a lot, like every gig all the time that I like now sing to them. And I'm just like very emotional while I do it. It's like some songs have been changed. I don't know how I'm going to do them live to be honest with you. Cause it's just emotional now. That's interesting. Babies make you cry, man. It's crazy. I think another fun part of, of your music ability and talent too is like, I think about, you know, you look at like famous musicians and all this or, or sons and daughters of famous musicians or movie stars, whatever. And like, that was just like their life growing up. So like, it's going to be so fun for your daughters that like, yeah, our mom's just like a freaking amazing singer and she sings at weddings and like, she's just phenomenal. And that's just like, like they'll go to school and be like, yeah, that's your mom's not <laughs> like, that's just normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that's so much fun. They're going to be a little one uppers. God, I hope not. <laughs> no, I, I, I do hope that they think that this is cool for sure. And I, 
there was a moment when we finished our full length album in Faraday, knowing that it was probably going to be the last album we were going to do. I don't know that the other bandmates knew that that was what I thought, but I just remember finishing that album, hearing it for the first time and being like, I'm going to show this to my kids someday. And like, that is going to be, make all of this worth it. You know, we never made a dime in Faraday. We, it was just all sacrifice and, and not struggle. Like it was fun and stuff, but like, it was really hard doing that for a long time and not ever like making it or making money or anything, but to have that, that important recording in that moment in my life and now their dad's life, which is even cooler. Like Danny and I didn't date when we were in Faraday, not at that point. And so it was like, just really cool to be like, Hey, your parents did this when they were like in their twenties and, and mom's still kind of doing it. And like, I hope they think that's cool. I really, really they do. Like, I think they're will. like the audience I care about most. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in a couple bands in high school, you know, nothing fancy. And I also made a bunch of no. movies and stuff. And so recently been, sh- did you just casually say you made a bunch no, of movies? like short, Wait, fe- you know, there's nothing fancy, like short things for class and, you know, on my own and in college and stuff. All right, I see yeah, you. I'm trying to make you. it clear I'm not like a professional <laughs> filmmaker. But my the point uh, why I bring it up is recently in the past couple of months, uh, you know, I talked to my kids about it. And I just the other day we watched um, the very first like 10 minute movie I made in high school for this one class. And I'm reminiscing with him about where we filmed it and what friends were involved in the big party. We had to watch it. And I played them the CDs of the live recording from these band. You know, and it was terrible. But they just loved it. Uh, it's my long way of saying, Aubin, they are going to just worship those uh, those albums and stuff. So I can't wait for you, you know, years from now to be able to share that with them because, yeah. That makes me so happy for you. Oh, that makes me so happy for you. That was probably like, um, I mean, when you were making those in high school, did you have the forethought of like, I'm going to show this to my no, kids No, not someday. at all. No. <laughs> right? Because you're like so oh, young yeah. at that point. Like, oh, how cool. Yeah. That's so exciting. Gosh, I, I hope I have that moment. It gave it a whole new, not meaning, but a, a whole new perspective on both the the songs Absolutely. and then also that that movie of just yeah, and especially because like you know some of the friends involved in the movie and stuff like my son and you know daughter have obviously met it a couple times in their lives and stuff and and yeah, it's just it, it, it's this it, yeah, it's just it changed my perspective like I said on on those things uh, seeing it through their eyes yeah, and that's it's fun right. It's like value you didn't even yes, know existed. exactly. It's like finding a gold bar in your closet. You're like, I didn't even know this yes, was there. That's exactly. so cool for you. Ugh. It was the, the big moment. And um, <laughs> any of my friends from back in the day listening, but this is like before high school, we had, I don't know, we were, it wasn't like a band. We were, we had like loop software and stuff we're playing with. So we're making like songs and some of them like parodies and stuff. Um one of them, we made a parody of Hold My Hand by Hooting the Blowfish called Eat My okay. Squirrel. And yeah. Stop. <laughs> and so my friend, who's actually a real musician nowadays, rock star, um, he's like out there professionally doing this. Um, he 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 was a great songwriter and stuff. So so we're writing this. And so, I don't know, this is a couple months ago, where me and the kids are driving out to my parents and we got the song because my car is a CD player. Cars still have these things. It's the, it's the only CD player I own. It's the car now. And anyway, long story short, my kids are in the back seat singing at the top of their lungs, eat my squirrel. And I just, <laughs> I was like, if only my friends could be here. For this moment, because uh, like you said, it is oh, a whole new value that so I never cool. could have foreseen, you know, years ago when we so were just kids cool. of our, ourselves creating this. 
Right. How meta yeah. is that? Your daughters are going to love it. That's so cool. Oh my God, eat my squirrel. I can't with you. <laughs> that. What? So you said your friend's like famous now. What's he up to? Uh, he's in a band called Star Set. They are like, what kind of music is it? Um, is it not not metal, new metal? It's like in that genre. It's like a Breaking Benjamin genre. Like they've opened for Breaking Benjamin and they tour with bands like that. Cool. Yeah. And there's like a That's whole awesome. show they do. Um, they have, there's a whole story behind it. The gentleman, the lead singer who like created the band, there's a whole like, um, the whole like, uh, what do you call it? Like fiction behind, I don't know if it's fiction in their eyes behind it, but like they wear these suits on stage and there's lights and like they're like coming oh, from. Oh shit, like Guar Yeah, or yeah. Like there's a whole like story behind it all and the music is like transmissions from the space thing and it's. That's very cool. Yeah. Check out Star Set on Spotify. It's uh, even if you don't like that kind of music, it's something to appreciate what they've created. It's pretty cool. I mean, we played with plenty of bands from that genre. I'm sure I'd appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. But uh, yeah, that's so cool. Well, eat my squirrel. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to follow up this post with like a link to that SoundCloud song because the people are going to need to hear this eat my is squirrel. before SoundCloud. It's, it's on the see. I've been saying because it's on this one so, CD. In my There's closet no way right to, now. Like, upload it. Yes, I need to get it digitized, but I have no CD player. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna man. figure this out. I'm Damn. gonna make sure I get it digitized before this episode goes squirrel. out. Okay, good, yes. good. That's a commitment I'm holding you to. I'm not signing off on this episode until we get Absolutely. that thing digitized. And I'll send it to you before it goes out to the public, so you can. Oh, that's VIP treatment. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I, my movies are digitized, but those songs aren't. And I, God forbid, something ever happened to them. This. What if my children love Eat My Squirrel? What if this is like. A children's like what if this is a whole genre of music you didn't realize that you were like gifted at oh my it's a whole song about how we you know we met some homeless person or something and like we somehow had a squirrel and then it i guess the squirrel i don't know if the squirrel was alive or dead but we offered the squirrel it's yeah it's wow that's you're looking priceless (laughs) well this uh enough about me And your squirrel. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat about oh so many things. That, <laughs> that was a blast. <laughs> I, I didn't see it going in this direction where we took it, but I'm, I'm glad that we did. And, you know, there's something about you. You, you give off this where I have no problem. I've never t- I don't think I've told anyone about eating my squirrel. Now, you know, all sorts of people are going to know. So thank you for, for being here, but also for, yeah, uh, loosening me up a little bit and telling you things that I never thought I would be telling you. You're so, so welcome. And you know, you're welcome to the people for, for now dragging that story out of you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.